Hey, good morning, Austin Oaks Church family and all those who are watching with us online. So excited to have you here again. It is such an honor. We are humbled that you would allow us into your lives through this platform. Just want to let you know a little bit about who we are as a church. If you are guests with us or just pop it in, we're a church that strives to be simply about Jesus. We want to help you meet, know, and follow Jesus. That's our heartbeat. Um, but before I get into the passage this morning, I, I do want to just take a moment and just say how much I love Austin Oaks Church. It's such an honor and it's truly a privilege to be your pastor. And I do want you to know that I, I don't take this lightly. And I was reminded of this last Sunday when um, a couple hundred of us or so were able to gather on our campus to worship together. It just reminded me of the joy and the privilege and the honor it is to be your pastor. It's a delight to serve you. It, it is an honor and a joy of mine to pray for you, to do all that I can to point you to Jesus. So that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to be looking at a passage that's going to be very clear and very direct, but pointing us to Jesus. And so I don't want you to miss that. As we're going to go deeper into this letter this morning, we're going to see that this is a moment in Paul's letter where he's going to lead them to a place where he's going to ask them to make a choice as to how they are going to live in light of the gospel, in light of how Jesus radically changed their life, but not only that, how Jesus radically changed humanity by taking Jew and Gentile and tearing down the wall of hostility and making one new man. This is a moment where we have to be honest and sober with ourselves. We have to really ask ourselves, what is in my heart and how am I living? And maybe how am I budding up with the ways of this world? Church, listen, the world needs to see Jesus now. It needs to hear about Jesus now. And if we talk about Jesus, but if how we live doesn't match with what we profess, our words are empty. So what I want to ask you to do before we get into the text this morning is just to simply pray. I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, you can either receive the words I'm praying, or you can just take a moment, hit pause, and just pray on your own. But either way, I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to move in you, to encourage you with grace, to stir in your heart with grace, and to speak truth. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage to see what he might show you this morning. So let's spend a few moments praying. But Father, we come to you in grace this morning, receiving that grace, understanding it's your grace that allows us to approach you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use this time, you would use your words to show us our heart. Lord, I ask that you would encourage us, remind us of how much you love us, and why you speak these words. Lord, I pray that you would speak truth and that you would protect us from guilt and shame. But Lord, I ask that in the midst of this, that we wouldn't just look at our own lives, but we would also see how our own lives are instruments of a greater purpose, to be part of the church, to be salt and light, to point people to you, which is where true hope is, true peace is. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd use this morning, this message, to do things that only you can do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, just a little bit about me. 
I'm not much of a pack rat when it comes to material things and all sorts of stuff, but I do tend to be with clothes, okay? Like, I mean, there are some pieces of clothing. Come on, you, you get this. There are some pieces of clothing that just, they just fit right. They feel right, and no matter what, when you wear it, you just have this confidence, and you, like, you think that you even look good in it, right? And there's just some pieces of clothing that actually sort of define you. It's like your identity marker in some way. Now, this is sort of embarrassing, and I'm hoping that the fellas out there can relate with me, and I know I'm not the only one, but let's just, when I was single, when I was a bachelor in college, let's just say I didn't have the best hygienic practices, now, I don't want your mind to go wandering too much, like if I shower and all that kind of stuff. I did. What I mean is I, I didn't do laundry a lot, like if ever, barely. When I grew up all the way through high school, I never did laundry. I had no idea how to do laundry. When I got to college, like I literally felt lost when I had to go down into the, the laundry room at the dormitory and I just looked at the thing. I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, I remember like ruining whites by putting colors in there. I, I didn't know. I did everything with hot water because I thought that's what you would do and, and clothes would shrink and, and like all that frustration just made me get to this place where I'm like, I'm just really not going to do it. And so like I would literally have piles of clothes laying on my floor. It would overflow the hamper and it was just like just form this pile. And the only time like early, especially my freshman year, oh my goodness, as I'm, re as I'm telling you, I'm remembering this. This is so embarrassing. Like really the only time I would do laundry is either when I went home to visit my parents or when they would come up and my mom would do it for me. Like that's how pathetic it was. Moments when I'd be late for class, like, come on guys, I know you did this. I would rummage through the laundry, do the sniff test, like find out which ones were like didn't smell the worst. And I would wear that, put a little cologne on, off we go, no foul, no harm, all that kind of good stuff. I mean, there was moments where I was so lazy with laundry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even wash it. I would just go buy new clothes. Eventually that, right, those clothes would get dirty and those clothes would add to the pile and, and on and on and on we go. Let's just say I had a, a debt that I had to pay off. Um, thanks to Target. I worked out roughly four to five times a week when I was in college. I know it doesn't look like it now, but I did. And you don't have to let your imagination run too long when you hear that I didn't do laundry that well and I worked out that often. I only had about three or four shirts that I wore when I work out, worked out. Do the math. Um, and to be honest, <laughs> I think I wore the same four shirts all four years of college. Can you say perma stink? Like, yeah, those shirts just reeked. But the reality is I couldn't tell. I got, maybe, maybe it was just simply, I just got so used to it that I couldn't even notice that they stunk anymore. And no matter how many times you try to wash it, how much bleach you put on, no matter what you did, that stench would not go away. Now, fast forward to 2004, and I'm about to get married and enter into a new phase of life, a shared life with a shared closet. When you're dating, you can hide certain bad behaviors and bad habits, right? Especially ones that you don't think are that bad. But when you get married, all those little things that you did and do, like not putting the cap on the toothpaste or squeezing the toothpaste instead of rolling up, I'm okay, trust me, I'm working this out. Or if you never do laundry, or if you wear the same shirts that look ratty with holes and just reek, those habits are front and center. It was time to embrace the new life, to embrace the change. I'm no longer 
a stinky college boy. I'm no longer a bachelor, but I'm a married man to a beautiful wife. And I was all for that new change. But then eventually came the conversation where she wanted me to get rid of certain shirts. I was for it. Okay. I was good with it. But then she grabbed one shirt and it was one shirt that I absolutely loved. It was the workout shirt. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I, and I get it. It looked really, really bad. But I was like, babe, you never see me wear it anyways. Okay. She goes, no, you're right. But I can smell it. I didn't notice the smell. I didn't want to get rid of it. I wanted to hang on to it. I wanted to hang on to that old, stinky, ratty shirt that had permastink. But it was time to get rid of it and to embrace the new life. And let me be honest, it's 15 years and I'm still in process of getting rid of some things to embrace the new life. Now I want you to hold that illustration in your mind because last week we talked about, last week we talked about um, here in chapter four, how Paul was after portraying the majestic gospel, right? Especially at the end of Ephesians, we start talking about like that God would grant us through his spirit power in our inner being, the ability to grasp the love of Christ. Like he's talking about the gospel, how we were dead in our sins underneath God's wrath, but God who is rich in mercy, right? By his grace, he made us alive with him. And not only that, he reconciled not just us with God, like us with him, but also with each other where God has now created one new humanity. And through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is on display to the powers and principalities and to all the world that this was forever God's plan and that through the church, people would see the love of Christ. And through the church, they would see the hope. They would see joy and peace and reconciliation and all the things that we need and want as human beings. And so Paul then goes in verse four, or chapter four, verse one, he says, listen, live your lives in a manner worthy of equal weight to the gospel that you've been called to. That's what we looked at last week. He was saying, look, you walk in all humility. You walk in gentleness, in patience, bearing with one another, in love. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace because there's one spirit, one body, one Lord, one baptism, one, 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 one. We're united. We're connected to each other. And we said last week, that if we value God's love, then we would be shaped by his love. And if we value the gospel, then we would value unity and eagerly maintain the unity that we have through the Holy Spirit. This morning, I'm going to add to it. If we value the life of Jesus, hear me, please. If we value the life of Jesus, then we would be quick to throw away the old ways we would be quick to want to throw away that old ratty shirt with holes that stinks so bad. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So as a church, we are to pursue, pursue unity. But also what we're going to see is, is that we are to live distinctly. Pursue purity. A different kind of ethic. A life that reflects the gospel. A life that no longer hangs on to the old because that old life is no longer compatible with the ways of Jesus. So let's look at how Paul jumps into this. 
So if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to open it up, crack that book open, or turn on your smartphone, whatever it is. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be through verse 17, through chapter 5, verse 2. Verse 17. Now, I, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, when you read those three verses right there, I mean, that, that's pretty heavy, right? That, that's, that's a pretty grim picture. But I want you to understand what, what he's trying to do. He's connecting these dots. This is connected to verse one of chapter four. Walk in a way that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Our lives are to be of equal weight. The way we live is to be of equal weight of the gospel. And so now he's saying, it's like, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now he's not referring to the ethnic Gentiles. This is a general term speaking to those people who don't believe in Jesus. So all of those who don't believe in Jesus are considered Gentiles. That's how the Bible uses that word. We're not speaking about ethnic Gentiles, okay? It's a generality. You shouldn't walk as the Gentiles do. You shouldn't walk the way that you used to walk in the old life. This is speaking to Jew and Gentile, to all people. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you no longer live in the old, you live in the new don't walk like them. Don't do it. I testify to you. I'm urging, I'm, I'm speaking to you the truth. This is meant to be a heavy passage. He's, he's dropping the mic as it were saying, you have to choose how you're going to live. Because if you're going to receive the love of Christ, you can't walk this way. It's not compatible with the life of, of Jesus. So we got to be honest with ourselves. Walking as you used to before you believed in Jesus is flat out incompatible with the new creation that you are because of Jesus. Even if others around you do, even if other professing Christians walk as the Gentiles used to or walk still in the old ways, you do not. You are different because of Jesus. So you must live different because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. You have to behave different. You have to think different. And you have to talk different. You are a new creation. That is your new identity. And that new identity comes with a whole new way of living within the new community called the church that God is building. And the church is to display the glory of God, the love of Christ, that is boundless. So if that's our ultimate purpose, of course, if we walk in the old life, then what we do and how we look as a church wouldn't reflect the love of Christ then. It would just reflect a bunch of selfish, sinful people. But the church should reflect a bunch of selfish, sinful people who've been saved and transformed through the power of Christ that displays the love of Jesus. 
And so he continues here in verse 17 through 19 to talk about that old life, which is an unbelieving life. And it seems extreme and it seems exaggerated, but it isn't because humanity is that depraved. We talked about that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Apart from Jesus, we're lost. We're not inherently good. We're inherently evil. We're dead in our sins. Apart from Jesus, we're underneath the wrath of God. And that means our hearts are hardened. Like we, we want nothing to do with God. Scriptures is very clear that there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who goes after God. We don't want the things of God. That's a hard heart. And that hard heart starts to reflect the way we think, the way we process. The heart reflects the control panel of our lives, right? Scriptures say that out of the heart is the wellspring of life. The heart is the seat of our loyalties. Or another way of thinking it is like what we worship is right in here. And we've been saying this now for a few weeks. Belief determines behavior. Revelation, truth, what we believe leads to worship. So if you don't believe in Jesus, you're believing in something else. And whatever that something else is, listen, it's an idol. And you will become like that you worship. Belief determines behavior. Revelation leads to worship. And that worship leads to behavior. Let's not miss that. So the old life is characterized by a hard heart that is ignorant the futility of the mind, which means all of our pursuits, all the things that we go after are meaningless. We're alienated from God. We don't want anything from God. Yeah, that's a heavy deal. Don't live like that. And the issue isn't the acts of sin per se. The issue is the heart and the mind. Sin, the acts of sin, is just a byproduct of the heart and mind. Our hardened hearts, our darkened minds, the ignorance that we have. And I want you to understand this. If you believe in Jesus, listen, you once were this. You once lived like a Gentile. You once were alienated from Christ. You once had a hard heart. You're, you, you once, your mind was darkened. The futility of your mind. That was you once. You were dead in your sins. But God, who's rich in mercy, he saved you. He pulled you out. And as a response to the gospel, you can't walk that way anymore. But listen, here's the reality. We are still very, very tempted, aren't we? To hang on to some of the old ways. Right, let's just be honest. It's just like me. I didn't want to get rid of some of that clothing from that old life, even though I knew that stinky shirt wouldn't be compatible with sharing a closet with my new wife. Like, it just wasn't. We carry over old life, old habits, old behaviors, and it's hard to let them go. And I know that some of us are still calloused, struggle with being callous to sin and worldly desires, given over to all sensuality and practicing greediness, thinking that there are certain things in life that if I don't have them, life won't be good. Where we are given to the tyranny 
of sin that just wants more and more and more and the desires that are insatiable. I know that. We're still tempted, aren't we? To mold the truth to fit our life, to justify our behaviors, our opinions. We can't do that. It's not compatible with the gospel. Look at verse 20. Just follow this line of thinking. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Like, listen, it's like, don't walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding, stuck in their ignorance, hardened hearts, given to over all, all forms and senses of sensuality and, and all greedy practices. Like, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming, right, I like, I like what he's saying, assuming that you have heard about him, like assuming that you really are a believer, assuming that the gospel really did transform your life. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. That is not the way you learned Christ. Don't walk that way. It's not compatible with the gospel. That old way of life doesn't reflect the life that Jesus lived. The truth that Jesus embodied. Listen, I get asked a few times, or I should, let me rephrase that. I've been asked a few times why our mission statement as a church is simply about Jesus, where we just want to help people meet, know, and follow him. Like, like, doesn't that sound so watered down and so simplistic? Listen, it's verses like this that drive that, that statement. It's verses like this. Now look at this. It's not the way you learned Christ. You heard about Jesus, you learned about Jesus, and you were taught in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the substance of all Christian teaching. He is the substance of it all. It's all about him, and it's all from him, and it's all through him. We learn that he is the Son of God who took on flesh, died, rose again, and now he reigns. We learn about his lordship. We learn about his kingdom and his new way of life and living. When Paul says here, this is not the way you learned Christ, he's not just talking about an academic learning. Even though we learn facts and truths about Jesus, it's more than that. We learn facts and truths about Jesus but we also learn him. We get to know him. We get to enter into a relationship with the son of God. Like this is not the way you learned Christ. This is speaking about your relationship with Jesus, not just Sunday school facts, which is good. It's part of it, but it's far more than that. Listen, there, you can go to church your whole life and you can learn a lot of things about Jesus. And sadly, but true, there's a lot of people who know a lot of things about Jesus but don't know Jesus. Who aren't in a relationship with Jesus. Who love him. Who want to know him more. Who are willing to give up things to know him more and to love him more and to represent him well. You have entered, if you received the grace of God, you've entered into, into a dynamic 
in real and authentic relationship with Jesus, with the creator, with God. But look at what else Paul says here. Assuming that you not just heard about him and were taught in him. The Greek makes this little sentence more vivid and and more compelling because what he's actually saying here is, is not, Jesus is not only the substance of all Christian teaching, he's actually the teacher. He's actually the one who lets you know anything about him, facts about him. He's the one who teaches you. If you know anything about him in terms of a relationship with him, it's him who's doing it. He's the instructor. He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, this is mind-boggling. At least for me it is. Because Paul is saying, in essence, that Jesus is the one that is speaking to you. If you ever read scripture and all of a sudden your heart's like, whoa. Paul's basically making an equation. You're saying, that's Jesus. Even to the degree that Paul is saying, because I'm speaking truth, Jesus is using me to speak truth to you. So really, like preaching and teaching and evangelism, leading small groups, even encouraging people with scripture, like that is such a terrifying and humbling and joyful privilege to be a vessel for Jesus to use you to teach truth of him. It's all about him. You know him. He's one teaching you. I mean, Jesus even said, he's like, listen, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. They learn my voice. They learn to recognize my voice. They learn to trust my voice and they learn to love my voice. And when you hear the voice of Jesus, you start to understand clearly that the old way of life is not compatible with his way of life. And then Paul rounds this whole thing out by saying, it's like, as the truth is in Jesus, where Paul is now saying, it's like, Jesus isn't just the content. He's the context. Like, in other words, just think about it this way. Like, Jesus isn't just the words in the book. He's the book. He's the substance of it all. He's the one teaching it. And the whole thing, your whole life, everything is encompassed in Jesus. That's what baptism symbolizes. When we go under the water, it's a symbol of the gospel. Our old life is being buried with Jesus, left behind. And when we come out of the water, we come out of the water with Jesus, raised with him, now living his life as a new creation the old is buried it's it's gone it's it's under the water and the new has come risen with jesus that's why we say as a church we strive to be simply about him because jesus is the substance of all christian teaching and he's the one who's teaching us anything and everything about him and the whole thing that we are involved in encompassed in him That's why we strive to be simply about him. We don't want to be distracted. We want to look to him. We want to point people to him. We want to worship him. We want to know him. Because the more we understand him, the more we're able to see how maybe certain behaviors and ways of thinking, ways of talking, ways of acting are not compatible with him. 
Christian transformation is far more than just being a good Christian, a good person. It's far more than what they say nowadays, moralistic, theistic deism, where we, we have a God and the whole idea is just to be a better person. Gospel change, gospel transformation at the core is a radical change of desire where our hearts are no longer hardened. They are softened by the love of Christ and our minds are enlightened by the light of Christ. We're able to see and discern and hear his voice and we are able to live now the life that we were created to live. Do not walk as the Gentiles do. That's not the way you learn Christ. That's not how you started this walk. That's not, all, that's not the, what he's given you. You are a new creation. He's the one teaching you. He's the one speaking to you. And your whole life is encompassed in him. In fact, the truth that we learn in Jesus, look at verse 22, is to put off your old self. So you put off the old self. This is what we are taught by Jesus Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, the old way of life, the way that the Gentiles walk, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. So put off the old life. That's what he teaches us. The second thing he teaches us is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And the third thing he teaches us is to put on the new self, which is being created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we get to know Jesus, factually and relationally and when we learn to distinguish his voice and when we realize that everything in our life is wrapped up in him we will learn and understand that we have to put off the old life get rid of the old stinky perma stink shirt we're going to learn that we have to have our minds renewed and that we have to put on the new to know Jesus is to grasp the new creation that's being created after the likeness of God. To know Jesus is to understand that the old life, I'm saying this over and over for a point, for a reason, the old life is incompatible with the new life. We learned from Jesus and we are still learning from Jesus to throw away old habits, old shirts, old behaviors, old filthy ways of talking and thinking that we need to be renewed and Paul's not teaching them anything new. If you notice the tense and the way he's saying it, it's like, you've been taught this already. You know this. I'm just reminding you of this. Well, that's a good challenge, isn't it? Beloved, I, I know you know this. If you are a follower of Jesus and you move from death to life, you know this. This isn't new. But some of us just have not gotten rid of some of the old habits. We hang on to them. And it causes problems. It causes disunity. It harms our witness. It affects our worship. It makes our, our salt and light of being a Christian rather dull if we're living in the way that the Gentiles live. He's reminding them. We have to be renewed. That means we have to hear truth. We have to hear Jesus speaking to us. We're told in Romans 12, chapter 2, that part of our worship, of giving ourselves in a spiritual act of worship, we also have to have our minds renewed. 
We have to reprogram the way we see the world. And the beautiful thing is, is that that's not on our, our, our effort. Or it's not our responsibility. We make ourselves accessible. We choose to get into God's word, but it's the Holy Spirit that does the renewing. We say yes. We do the discipline of being in the word and prayer and worship with other believers and all that kind of stuff. Yes, that's our discipline, but the actual renewing is the Holy Spirit and he promises to do it. It's only as our minds get renewed more and more into the image of the creator are we able to understand how to throw off the old and to embrace the new. Now, I know maybe some of you are thinking, Brandon, I thought you said that at conversion with this image of baptism, that the old was put off and the new was there. But now you're saying that we have an active responsibility to put off the old and to put on the new. Like that doesn't seem to make sense. It almost feels like there's a tension to which my answer is, yeah, it's a tension. It's both. It's God's doing. And yet we still have responsibility to it. We still carry with us old patterns and old behaviors. And this is where the practice of confession and repentance really takes place. We have to understand this. Yes, we have to be born again. And nobody can cause, like nobody can make oneself born. Like you can't do that. Shock. It's the same thing spiritually. It's, it's his doing. But in that process, we have to learn. We have to grow. We have to develop practices and discipline. We have to get rid of the old and to actively choose to put on the new. We have to put off and put on. We have to turn away and turn towards. Recreation, that's God's responsibility. Repentance, that's our responsibility. So yeah, at a time, like truth, when you receive the grace of God through Jesus by faith, The old was put off. You are free from sin. But yet we choose to hang on to it. You are no longer a slave to sin. But we choose to it. We choose to hang on to it. We grab hold of it. But we have to put it off and to put on the new. And that's why I'm going to say this. Our ethics, our behaviors have to be consistent with Jesus. We need to again embrace the lost art of confession and repentance we confess that we're hanging on to old behaviors and repentance means i'm going to put on new and he goes on now in verse 25 32 and i want you to know this right now i'm going to be preaching on this next week i'm just going to read it through so that way you can understand some of the things that paul is going to be speaking on here Therefore, therefore, in light of 17 through 24, therefore, heaven put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In other words, falsehood and lies and deception have no place for the believer. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, it's okay to be angry. Just don't be selfish and sinful with your anger. We'll talk more about that next week. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, do an honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. Be careful on the words you use, how you speak. 
as to fit occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 4, verse 1. Live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Be eager to maintain the unity. Every single ethical example that Paul laid out deals with the relationships. Every single one. Relationship with God, because it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, we can harm that relationship, but also this is relational between brother and sister in Christ, but also with the world, the other people around us. We are to live differently, distinct, on purpose. Confess, repent. In fact, I'll say it this way. Confession is only part of the process. That, that's, in a lot of ways, that's the easy thing to do. Yes, I lied. Yes, I sinned in my anger. Yes, but confession is part of the process. We do not fulfill our Christian responsibility until we repent. Because you've got to put off and put on. You've got to turn away and turn towards. God wants to recreate and renew, but that means we have to repent. And here's the beautiful thing. God causes us to will and to act, and he's the one who empowers us to do that. We just have to say yes and be disciplined in the process. I want you to notice this, and this is important. Every single one of these behaviors that Paul just listed tears apart unity. tears apart unity it basically would say we don't value the gospel I value myself I mean let's just be honest like we do this because we love the truth because we've been taught in Jesus and Jesus teaches us and we hear his voice and Everything about our lives is wrapped up in him and we want him to be made known. We want to make much of him and we want to respond in appropriate worship due to what God has revealed to us. We want our lives to live in sync with the gospel. It has no room for this. And here it comes, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. This is where Paul just goes right here. Therefore, don't walk as the Gentiles. That's not how you learned in Christ. That's not how you got to know him. That's not what he teaches you. Right? You put these things away. You put on these things. Why? Because, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Just think of how about how little sons and daughters reflect their dad and mom. They imitate their parents. 
How do we do this? Well, you walk in love the way Jesus loved you. Well, how did Jesus love you? You have to look to the Gospels. How did he love you? Well, he gave up his whole life for you. He took your sin and your punishment upon himself. He took your punishment. He took on the wrath of God that you were under so you wouldn't have to. He came to his own, his own creation to be abandoned, to be mocked, to be persecuted, to be dragged through the mud. He, he loves you more than you know. That's how we are to walk in love. Graciously and generously. Why? Because of how much he loved you. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. If you are a believer, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants you to be recreated in the image of God. And when you choose to live a life that reflects the old life, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. You're getting in the way of what God wants to do in and through your life. This is a decision moment because it's a gospel moment. How we live, listen, how we live reflects how we worship and how and what we worship reflects what we believe. And it comes right to the heart and to the mind. So don't just downplay behaviors and ethics and and sin like don't downplay that it's a serious gospel issue it's incompatible with the new life that we have in jesus belief determines behavior gospel change is absolutely total so listen as we conclude i'm going to ask some of you actually i'm going to ask all of you to really through the love of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to assess your heart. Because I know that some of us have grown cold and calloused to sin. We've gotten so used to it that we don't even recognize that we might be wearing a shirt that has permastink and we've gotten used to the smell. But to the Holy Spirit, it stanks. That was funny. You can laugh. We, if we were to be honest, we love the old but I need you to confess that sin. But don't just stop there. Fulfill your responsibility by repenting. He will give you the strength. The old has no control over you. Others of you need to stop compartmentalizing your faith. Stop being one way with this group of people and another way with this group of people. Don't just put on your Sunday best when you come to church and then when you leave, you're a totally different type of person. Integrity. Jesus is one. The Holy Spirit is one. The Father is one. There is no division in that consistent across the board that's how we should live that means every aspect of our lives needs to be put underneath the lordship of jesus how you talk how your emotions relationships sexuality materialism time management humor care for the poor theft families employer employee relationships marriage money etc all of it And here's the reality. If we are attracted and drawn to the world and the old ways, you are going to become more and more like the world. You won't be living distinct. And if we coddle to ourselves and our own selfishness, guess what? 
we're going to become more and more self-centered. But the same is true when we look to Jesus. We'll become more and more like him. So here's what I want you to do. Assess your heart. Look to see if there's old things that you are carrying with you into this new life. And if so, confess and repent. And here's, and here's all, like, like here's the application outside of that. Here's how I want you to go about repentance. Look to Jesus. Look at him. See him in the story. Hear his voice. Pray and ask God to show you how much he loves you because it's his love that compels you to repentance. Like it says in Romans 4, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You can't muster that up on your own. Look to him. Put everything else aside. Look to him. And listen, it's not about being perfect. It's so far from being perfect. It's about being renewed. It's about allowing him to transform us, sanctifying us, aligning us with Jesus. Here's one last thing I want to say. September 13th, we're going to be doing baptisms in our courtyard at our live service. And if you've never been baptized, maybe you're a believer or maybe you just recently said yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to be baptized because it is a symbolic picture and really it's putting a stake in the ground that represents exactly this passage of saying the old life is gone, the new has come. And it's not just only a beautiful thing for you, but it's a testimony to the church and to the world around us of the power of the gospel. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized before, or maybe even if you were baptized as a child and you didn't know why you were baptized then, but now you're like, I I get it, I understand it, I want to be baptized, please, I'd encourage you to do that. And this isn't the only time we're going to do it, so you won't miss it if you're not comfortable yet, get it. But I want to encourage you, consider that. So as we wrap up, confess and repent. In the process of repenting, look to him. See how much he loves you. Let his kindness lead you to repentance. Church, the world is watching. We are salt and light, and how we live matters way more than we know. Father, I thank you for this time, and I just pray that in these moments, Lord, that we would have the courage to say to your spirit, search my heart, know my ways, Reveal to me anything that isn't pleasing to you. Show me clearly what it is that I need to put off, throw away. And show me clearly what it is that I need to put on. In church, I'm praying that God, through the power of his spirit, would strengthen you on the inside, that you would know the love of Christ and allow his love to compel you forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings, church. Love you much.